God, thank you so much for everyone here. Thank you, God, for what, what you're doing with us as a church. We're really excited. And, uh, and we're a bit nervous as well because we're taking steps of faith. And we don't trust in ourselves, we trust in you. So we just pray. We pray today for North, that new location we started a year and a half ago. God, thank you. It's got about 100 people there now. And we pray for Pete Kitchen as he preaches over there today. Bless him. Pray for Leith and Sammy as he's preaching down there to the best part of 200 people over in Leith. God, we pray for the folks in South as the as maybe 70, 80 people out there who are launching that South location. May it become a church of hundreds. And God, we pray right here. Thank you, God. You are here. And thank you, you love every person in this room. And you love those who's, who are going to be with us, who are going to fill the seats that are spare here. And I'm praying in Jesus' name, God, that you would meet with us today. Come in power. Even as I'm speaking, would you just move around the crowds, touching lives and speaking to them and encouraging their hearts. Help me to share. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Inheritances. A lot of people have received inheritances over the generations, and, and some of them stand out uh, more than others. Here's three that stand out for me. Uh, Charlene Heineken, here she is, became the wealthiest woman in the Netherlands when her father, Alfred Heineken, passed away in 2003. She's now worth 4.3 billion. Then there's Allegra Versace. On her 18th birthday, she inherited 430 million and she drives forward the Versace brand now. And then there's John Rockefeller Jr. In the, 19, in the 19, early 1900s, he inherited 700 million, which in those days was huge today, but in those days, colossal. And just because he had the surname Rockefeller. Huge inheritances. But as we turn to the Bible, we're in John's gospel, we're in uh, John chapter 14, Jesus is going to spell out for us that we have actually, as believers, what we have inherited, who we have in him, what we have in him is so much greater than any earthly inheritance could compare. So there are seven inheritances, well really there's one, it's him, his presence in our lives, but there are seven ways that manifests. So let's turn to the Bible. It says, uh, first of all, you have a helper. This is John 14, verses 15 to 16. Jesus said, this is in the last night before his betrayal, he's speaking to his disciples and he's telling them the great things that are theirs in him. And he's telling you what's yours in him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Say, another helper. That he may be with you forever. Hear this name helper, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling us that after he dies on the cross and rises again, he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he's done. It happened on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. The helper in the Greek language is the Greek word parakletos. Two parts, parakletos. And it, 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 it just like it, it describes how the Holy Spirit comes to help us. So para, we recognize that, like parallel or parachute. 
it means something alongside something else. And kletos or kaleo means to help. So it literally means one who is called alongside to help. That in Jesus, you get not just a helper, but the ultimate helper, the Holy Spirit, one who is called alongside your life to help. He's here. He's not not just here, he's here. I hope he's there. The Holy Spirit is the helper. And what a helper, wow. See, there are two ways you can get to my house. Either I could give you a map and say, I wish you all the best. Or I could jump in the car beside you and I could say, okay, turn left, turn right, slow down. Uh, go right, second left. That's my house. And if I'm in the car with you, you're guaranteed to get there. If I give you a map, well, all the best. And God doesn't just said, well, here's the map, I wish you well. You see, God has given us a great map, the Bible. But he's also given us a great helper, his very presence in our lives to guide us alongside scripture, to guide us into the plans of God. You are not orphans. God is with you. You're not left to your own devices to figure it out. The Holy Spirit will give you an advantage. Give me an amen. Now, the key word in this verse is another. It's not just helper. Help is an important word, but the key word is another helper. And here's why it's important, because there's two types of words in the Greek language to, to describe another. There's two words in the Greek. One word is heteros, which is another similar. So, for example, if I'm wearing a pair of glasses and I say, could you give me another pair of glasses? You could get snow skiing goggles for me, or you could get shades, or you could get little spectacles, or you could get 3D glasses for me. And that, that, would, that, would, that would suffice, because I just said, just give me another pair of glasses. Heteros, another similar. Or there's another Greek word, which is alos, which is another that's exactly identical, the specific kind without any single variation. So if I was wearing a pair of Ray-Ban shades and I say, I would like another pair of these, alios. And all of a sudden, alos, this Greek word describes, you'd have to get me the exact same pair of Ray-Ban, the exact silver on the, the arms, the exact tint, the little same logo, everything exactly No variation, exactly the same. And when Jesus is saying another helper, he's not saying another similar, he is saying another helper who is identical in every way to himself. The Holy Spirit coming into your life is the same essence as Jesus himself. You ever wondered what it would be like to walk with Jesus? You ever thought, man, wouldn't it be great to be one of those 12 disciples walking with Jesus? Good news. When the Holy Spirit's in your life and you're actually letting him lead, he's not just theoretically there, he's actively leading you and directing you in life. It is identical. I mean, absolutely identical as if you were walking with Jesus. You get to do what the disciples did every day. You get to do it because Jesus Christ comes and takes up residence in your life and he's exactly the same essence as the Holy Spirit because he is God 
and the Holy Spirit is God and the Father is God. We believe in one God in three persons. One God, three persons, the Holy Trinity. God takes up residence in your life, the helper. What inheritance? Versace has nothing on you. Number two, a revealer of truth. Verses 16 to 18. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Again, Jesus makes it very clear that having the Holy Spirit is the same as having Jesus. Jesus was with them, but he will be in them. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus said. He's describing himself. The very presence of Jesus in your life is the Holy Spirit. You can't separate them. Same essence. But here he reveals, he talks to him as the revealer of truth. Why is he called the spirit of truth? Okay, another verse, John 16, 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So why is he called the spirit of truth? Because he guides you into truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. Now, the Bible, God's words, we believe, and we'll talk about this in a moment, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is the truth. But the Bible will give you maybe general advice on certain areas of life. For example, it will tell you the kind of person you should marry. It might not tell you the specific person. Uh, The Bible will tell you the kind of job or the kind of employee you should be. It might not tell you what job to get, but it'll tell you the kind of employee or, and when you're thinking of moving house, the God, God, God in his word will give you advice on the kind of decisions you should make. But the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, who leads you into truth, will also, he will make the general specific. He, he'll, he'll take it from being the, like the, the kind of person you should marry to, this is the one, this one here. I'm not pointing at anyone in particular here. <laughs> Everyone will marry you now. That's just what's going to happen. Okay. The Holy Spirit will say, this is the job. This, this is the job. It's yours. I don't care if they've shut the door. This is the job. Keep pushing that door. It's going to open. Okay? Or this is the situation. I know it doesn't look like it's shifting, but God's got it for you. God will lead you into truth. I remember when me and Ange got engaged. I, in my heart, I, I'd fallen in love with Ange maybe seven months before I ever let her know that I was interested in her. And I just knew, I, I came to the point where I just knew she's the girl for me. I knew I was going to marry her. And on our first day, I, I mean, on our first day, I could have just as easily, instead of saying, do you want to, I mean, how do you even ask that? Do you, do you want to go out? What, what, do you want to be my girlfriend? I, what, what do you ask on that first day? Give me advice. I don't need advice on that. I, I did it anyway. However clunky it was, on that day, instead of saying, will you be my girlfriend? I could have just as easily gotten one knee and said, will you marry me? Because I was that clear. Now, that would have freaked her out. So I didn't. <laughs> but I was that clear. I just knew. And actually, we started dating 22nd of May, 1997. I should have asked Angie for that date, just to test her. <laughs> but uh, 22nd of May, 1997. And that was our first date. We got engaged September. And I, I, as I say, I was really clear that she was the girl for me. And as we, actually, Angie's parents had said, listen, you've had a busy year at university. I want to, we want to give you a break. We're going to Austria do you want to come with us? And why don't you bring your boyfriend with us? So I, I went along with them to Austria. As we were going to Austria, in my, as I was praying, I knew she was the girl for me. And I, and I had this picture as I was praying. I could picture myself on my knee proposing to her on a particular mountainside in Austria. And I could see it. 
as I was praying, I could see this picture. So I waited until that exact spot. So I should say, a few weeks before we went to Austria, I saw Angie one morning. I said, oh, how are you? Did you sleep well? I said, yeah, I had this dream. And already in my mind, because I'm praying about Austria, and I'm praying, I'm seeing this picture of me proposing. So I said, all right, what was the dream? I said, oh yeah, I saw us in Austria. And she didn't elaborate on it anymore. Anyway, I got to Austria, and when we were having a great time going to different parts of the place, and then we, I saw the exact spot I'd seen it when I was praying. I saw the exact spot. And I got down on my knee, and I'd made a little grass ring. <laughs> Sounds all romantic. It was just skin. So... <laughs> And it was romantic, okay? So I made this little grass woven ring and I got down on my knee and I proposed to Angie and she said, yes, she said yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to leave you in a cliffhanger there. Okay, you probably guessed that one already. Anyway, so she said yes. And then she said, you know, just before we came away, I had this dream here. I saw you on this mountain proposing to me in that dream. Isn't that amazing? So the Holy Spirit is the one who leads you into truth. The word of God makes the truth clear. I mean, the word of God would tell me, marry a girl who loves God like you love God, because then you've got the biggest thing in common. You know, the Bible would say, give a good advice on, on these things. But when it comes to the very specific, okay, Lord, that kind of narrows it down to two billion people on earth. Okay, so who now? Well, God made it very clear. The Holy Spirit will lead you into truth. That's, that beats Rockefeller. Thirdly, you have a life source, verses 19 to 20. And what we're doing, by the way, we're just reading through an amazing and yet complicated section of scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples. You can read it in one go if you want in your own time, but we're just breaking it down one bit at a time into seven sections, which tell us the seven great things we have in the Holy Spirit. You have a life source. Verse 19, after a little while, the world will no longer see me but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Because I live, you will also live. You see, I'm alive because Jesus is alive. I'm not, I'm not just alive as in I exist. I'm alive as in I'm spiritually awakened. I'm reborn. I'm alive. I'm eternally alive because Jesus Christ is eternally alive. Jesus, he did die on the cross. He didn't die, that was not a myth. He died on the cross for your sins. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended bodily into heaven, and right now, he's in the throne of the universe, but he's also here by his spirit. And because he, by his spirit, has taken up residence in me, that same resurrection life, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, lives in us and will also give life to your mortal bodies. You have the ultimate life source in you. There was a collection of photographs following World War II, and they were sobering photographs. They, they showed some of the, the terrible atrocities that were taking place across Europe, and one photograph in particular stood out, and it was the picture of a, a village which had been attacked, and it, it, there, was a, there was a villager, someone had lost their life, a, a lady had lost her life, and she was lying there in her own blood. And the tragedy of the photograph was she was dead, but in her arms was an alive baby crying out, for sustenance and milk. But those breasts were now dead. The life was now gone. And you know, if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the dead, then there is no sustenance for you. If Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the dead, you may as well worship a rock or worship a carved idol. You may as well 
follow some collection of gods which have been fabricated by human imagination and inspired by demons because they will provide you with no sustenance. And there is nothing in those that will give you any sustenance. But because Jesus Christ is absolutely alive and isn't just alive, he's the source of all life. He created life. He's existed before and before any time began and he will exist after everything. He is the eternal one. He is therefore the sustainer of all life. He is, I am the self-sustaining one. He is the source of life. And Jesus said, because I live, you live as well. In Jesus, you have ultimate sustenance. He's not dead, he's alive. And you are utterly alive in Jesus. You have the life source himself living in you. That's why when you touch people, miracles can happen because there is a life source in you that can bring life with his death. That's why predicaments can turn around when you start praying or you walk in or you start speaking those words because you have the life source himself residing in you. Thirdly, you have a life source. Fourthly, you have a resident. Uh, go, let's go on in the verse, verse 21. He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, that's not Iscariot, there's two of Judas's. Rubbish name to have, really, if you, if you knew what the other one was like. Said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come and make our abodes with him. Who will? The father and Jesus. How's that going to happen? By the Holy Spirit. He will come and make his abode with you. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Jesus said, we will come and make our abode with him. Elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You literally are the abode of God. You are God's address on planet Earth. Collectively, we are God's address on planet Earth. We're God's arms and legs. We're God's mouthpiece. Where God moves, we move. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's a cool picture uh, by, by a great artist, actually, a great Christian artist called Charlie McKessie. And he, he, here's a picture he's done. And I love this. A building and a temple. <laughs> you know, when we think temple, we think the big building, the big religious building. No, no. You're the temple. That's a building. You're the temple. And God takes up residence, not in a building. He takes up residence in something greater than any building in the human beings who trust in him. Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. That means where God goes, you go. That's how it should be. Okay, Lord, where next? And where you go, God goes. He will back you. He will come in behind you. He will support you. The question that was asked to Jesus is, Lord, what then has happened that you're gonna disclose yourself to us and not to the world? You know, how is it we're going to get this experience, but not the world's? And Jesus answered, listen, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our abode with him. What Jesus is saying is this. The question was, Jesus, how is it we're going to get you, but not the world? And Jesus' answer is this, if anyone loves me. In other words, he's saying that people who love God get God. And people who don't love God don't get God. That's really important. 
Because maybe some of you here today don't love God. And then the answer is you don't get God. But he wants to be yours. And he wants you to be his. He wants to give you this eternal life. And he wants you to be in love with him because he tell you what, he's in love with you. Let his love melt your heart. Let the love that inspired him to be willing to die in your place on the cross melt your heart and cause you to run to him because he's the one you've been looking for in all the wrong places. He's God. You love God, you get God. You don't love God, you don't get God in this life or in eternity. Now Jesus clarified what it means to love him. He said, he said um, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. In other words, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I love Jesus. But true love for Jesus will influence everything in your life. It starts touching how you behave and how, how you treat people and how you act. And it, it's this, I mean, we're to, I know it sounds heavy, but listen, this is everything. This is literally all on board. But it's okay to be heavy because this is God we're talking about, all right? It's not like a hobby or, I mean, you give everything for your hobby, but we're talking about God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the most ultimate being ever. Of course, loving him should impact your life a little bit, if not every way. Of course it should. So no problem, no problem at all. But the point is this, he doesn't just want to be resident, he wants to be president. He doesn't want to just come and be in your life, he wants to be Lord of your life. And I just encourage you today. I guess maybe some of you here today haven't yet crossed that line. Today, go for it. Open your heart to him and let him take first place in your heart and life. It would be the greatest decision you could eternally make. Fifthly, you get a teacher. John 14, 25. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will bring to your remembrance everything that Jesus had said to the disciples. So how is it I am absolutely convinced about the authenticity and the authority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, eyewitness accounts. And you think, well, how did they remember all that stuff that Jesus said? How did they keep track of all the things, all the miracles? And here's, here's, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance, disciples, all that I've said to you. The reason the disciples were able to accurately record all the events of the life of Jesus with incredible detail and incredible insight was because the Holy Spirit showed them and reminded them everything that they had just been through. Furthermore, if you'd been through the stuff they'd been through and seen the stuff they'd seen, it wouldn't actually be that hard to remember, okay? I'm telling you, Jesus spoke in memorable ways. He did things that were incredibly memorable. If you saw someone rise from the dead, you would remember it. If you saw a blind person suddenly seeing, you would remember that. You would remember if someone came walking to you in the water, right? But, but having said that, the Holy Spirit made sure that they remembered it and he inspired them. And, and that's why we believe in the inspiration of scripture. We believe in that. That's our bedrock as a church, okay? We don't waver from that. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, the Bible. All 66 books, Old Testament, New Testament, all God's words. It's sometimes uncomfortable, but comfort isn't our main priority. Our main priority is him. And therefore, what he says goes. And sometimes that's, 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 that's different to what society says. But that's okay, because he's God. 
Society will come and go. God won't. So we build our lives on him and his words. And it says in Timothy, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed. It's an amazing book written by 44 authors over a period of 1,500 years in three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. In all different moods, it's this is wartime and peacetime. Every different genre of literature, poetry, statistics, history, biography, songs. The Bible is so packed. And it's, and it's one consistent message all the way through, and it's God's love and God's redemptive plan for planet Earth. In fact, the Bible is the world's all-time, according to New York Times magazine, the New Yorker magazine, it says the Bible is the best-selling book of the year every year. No other books like it. Charles Dickens, the famous author, says the New Testament is the very best book that was or ever will be known in the world. The Bible, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit made sure that the, the, the New Testament was written by people who remembered the details and remembered the insights and remembered the events around the life of Jesus and were able to record it accurately. Fantastic. What a gift you've got. Don't take for granted the Bible, this great book inspired by the ultimate author through human authors, but by the ultimate author, the Holy Spirit. Build your life in it. In fact, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter seven, anyone who hears these words of mine, and he wasn't just speaking to that audience, he's speaking to this audience because through the New Testament, you can hear the words of Jesus because the Holy Spirit has made that possible through scripture. And don't deny yourself, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sands. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell down with a great crash. You see, Jesus says that storms are a coming. Storms are coming. He says that to people who follow him and for those people who don't follow him. Storms are coming. What messes people's up life's up isn't the storm what messes people's life up is the lack of foundation you see storms are coming the only question is do you have a foundation to face the storm and Jesus clearly tells us that the ultimate foundation for the temporary storms in this life and the eternal storm is you build your life on the words of Jesus Christ that becomes a solid rock stuff happens around you sure situations will come and go I get it but you're built on a rock and that rock is Jesus himself. You have a solid foundation for this life and for eternity. Build on the rock of Jesus Christ. So I've got a watch here and it's waterproof, okay? I, you know, however many meters waterproof. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't get wet. It doesn't mean it's, uh, it's, it's water-free. It is waterproof. What it means is that the water will still touch it but it won't get into it in such a way by which it corrupts it and ruins it and ceases it, causes it to cease functioning. And it's the same with our life. God does not promise you a storm-free life, but he does promise you a storm-proof life if you build your life on the rock of God's word, which the Holy Spirit reminds us, the disciples of, they recorded for us, and you have the privilege of reading the very words of God, the words of Jesus Christ written in scripture. Don't deny yourself, build on the rock, 
Say amen if you agree. Then sixthly, God gives you a peace. Verse 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor be fearful. Jesus says he gives us a peace different to how the world gives you peace. The world will give you peace by denial. You know, you deny stuff's going on. Bury your head in the stands. That's how you get peace. Or by escapism. You know, lose yourself in the television. Lose yourself on a holiday. Lose yourself in drink or drugs. Numb yourself. Escape the pain. That's how you get peace. The world gives you peace by getting you to ignore problems. You know, bin the bill. Don't look at the bill. Turn off the news. Don't face realities. But Jesus says, that's, that's how the world gives you peace, but that's not how I give peace. Jesus said, I give you peace differently. And he says, my peace I give you. Now, you look at Jesus' peace, my peace. When's he speaking? This is the when? This is the last night before his betrayal. And Jesus says, my peace I give you. I don't know how you would be feeling the night before you were crucified and flogged by Roman crucifixion. But Jesus was doing just fine. He was at peace. He said, my peace I give you. He was at peace. Now, the test of any creed, the test of any theory or philosophy is how does it cope in crisis? Yeah? And right here, here you have a peace that he's about to be crucified and yet he's got a peace. There is no peace like that. And he says, my peace I give you. You can have that kind of peace. The same peace that Jesus had, you can have. And how does that peace come your way? Well, first of all, it comes your way by the cross. Jesus' peace, the ultimate peace, comes your way because of the cross. Because he died on the cross, you can have peace. Let, let me kind of illustrate this for you. There's a, a guy called Rick Dillinger, and in his book, he describes how the cross helps us. And let me read it to you. I encountered a mean barking dog that had a look that said if I live long enough sooner or later I'm going to bite you as is my habit I tried to entice the dog to let me pet him to which he of course did not want any power and he became even more vicious as I came close to him as I came close enough to see his teeth uh, and to s- s- snatch, I, I, I suddenly snatched him off his feet and wrapped my arms completely around him. I wouldn't have done this. I wrapped my arms completely around him, thus disabling any means of him attacking me. And I started examining him. And as I examined him, <clears throat> and I looked at the look of distress and desperation in his eyes, then I suddenly noticed there was a huge thorn in his front paw. I promptly removed the thorn, and then I put him down again, And you imagine my surprise to find that he wasn't nearly the snarling mean dog that I had imagined. But because of the miracle of the removal of the thorn, he was now dancing and prancing and full of love like a puppy who seemingly had no care in the world. And you see, what happens was the Bible says we were hostile towards God. And if you don't know God, you're currently hostile towards him. You use him as a curse word. You live like he's not there and he's the ultimate being. And you live like he's not there. 
And we're against God. We have this ultimate lack of peace because there's no peace between us and God. And this separation between us and God caused by our sin, that's what Jesus dealt with on the cross. On the cross, he took the thorn out of our lives. The thorn was sin. The thorn is what causes the aggression. The thorn is what causes the the separation between us and God. Jesus in his death, he took the thorn away. Why? Because he died in our place. He took the punishment for the sin that we deserve to take. He literally wiped the slate clean. His blood cleansed the darkest and dirtiest of sins. His blood cleanses you totally, removes all sin, makes you, declares you righteous in the presence of God. There is at last peace between you and God if you trust Jesus. So he said, my peace I give you because he's about to go to the cross and purchase that peace for you. You can have the deepest, most ultimate peace, not a storm-free life, but a storm-proof life built on the words of Jesus, accomplished by the power of Jesus on the cross, living free, living at peace in God's. But secondly, he says, my peace I give you. Why? Because he, the source of peace, comes and takes up residence in your life. You see, peace does not come from the absence of trouble. It comes from the presence of God. And when he comes, up, take res- comes and takes residence in your life, you have the ultimate peace. And then seventhly, a savior. Man, no other inheritance compares to these. You have a savior. Verses 28 to 31. You have heard that I said to you, I'm going away and I will come back to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. And he has nothing in me but so that the world may know that I love the father and do exactly as the father commanded me get up let us go from here get up let us go from here what does that mean well where did he go he went to the garden of Gethsemane in the garden of Gethsemane he agreed to take the cup of God's wrath against sin upon himself instead of us having to take it. His sweat became like blood. He was arrested. He went through three illegal trials. He was flogged within an inch of his life. He was dragged to the Golgotha, the place of the skull, place of death. And he died the death we should have died so that we can live a life and have an eternity and have a reward that he earned and have righteousness that was his and have everything that he got everything we deserved because, and we get everything he deserved. And this is the amazing thing. And Jesus said, let's go from here. And, in this, and that's clearly him saying, I'm going to the cross. Let's go from here. That, there was no other place they went. There wasn't like another part of his itinerary. He went straight to Gethsemane, was arrested and went to the cross. Let's go from here, the cross. And notice he said, the ruler of this world has nothing in me. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is sinless. The only reason Satan has any sway in anyone's life is because he has legal jurisdiction to have sway in people's lives because people have given them that permission because of sin. But Jesus Christ was born without sin and lived without sin. He resisted every temptation that was thrown at him. And therefore, he was the only human being since Adam. And even Adam, it was only temporary. But he's the only human being through the duration of his time on earth. He was able to live and Satan had absolutely no hold of him. He had no touch, he couldn't touch him him at all. 
And that actually qualified Jesus not only to overcome Satan, but also qualified him to die in our place as a sinless one for sinners. Jesus died in our place because he is the only one qualified to die in our place. If it had been a sinner who died for us, then he would have to pay for his own sins. But Jesus died as a sinless one paying for our sins. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This amazing exchange. He took my sin, I take his righteousness. When you come to Christ, you are righteous. You are, you are in the sight of God, declared righteous. Now I know your behavior sometimes it certainly isn't righteous. Mine is, yours isn't. No, I'm kidding you, I'm kidding you. But yours is a bit worse than mine. So, uh, we're declared in the sight of God, clean. Before the judge of all the earth, you're forgiven, you're clean, you're acquitted, complete. You are as accepted as Jesus is before the Father. Would the Father reject Jesus? No chance. Well, there's no chance he will reject you because you're in Christ. Would the Father hear Jesus' prayer? Well, of course he'll hear your prayer because you pray in Jesus' name. You didn't pray in your name, did you? So you are as accepted as Christ. You are as near as Christ is to the Father. You are as near to the Father. You are as accepted as Christ is. You are as uncondemned as Jesus is uncondemned. You are accepted. You are righteous. You are, you are Christ. You become righteous. And so now you can say what Jesus says. He, Satan, has nothing in me. You can say that. And some Christians act like the devil has all still got huge jurisdiction over your life. And I know sometimes you give them little footholds. But you need to understand fundamentally you are now in Christ and you can say like Jesus, he has nothing in me. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins. This is talking about when you get truly saved, there is an inbuilt desire to do the will of God, not to do your own will anymore. And sure, you still may fall, but it's talking about there's a fundamental change of agenda. You've become someone who wants to do God's will rather than your own will. We know that no one is born of God's sins, but the one, he who is born of God, Jesus, talking about in his incarnation, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him, let alone demon possess you. I don't believe you can be possessed. I believe you can be tormented. I believe you can be attacked and oppressed, but you cannot be possessed because the Holy Spirit's taken up residence in you. You've been declared righteous, and now, just as Jesus was able to say, he has nothing in me, so you can say, he has nothing in me. Because what he did have in me, Jesus dealt with on the cross. Satan has no legal rights in my life anymore. That's good news. So listen, Charlene Heineken and Allegra Versace and John Rockefeller Jr., they had pretty big inheritances. I get that. In terms of earthly inheritances, you ain't gonna get much bigger than those. But what you have got in Christ you have a helper. You have a revealer of truth, a life source, a resident, a teacher, a peace, and a savior. You have the greatest inheritance as Jesus Christ, by his spirit, has come and take up residence in your life. You are a very privileged people. You are incredibly privileged people, believers in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you so much for all that you accomplished for us, Jesus Christ, in your life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Thank you you're alive right now. Thank you you're in this room by your spirit. And thank you you love each and every person 
in this room and you have a plan for their lives. Thank you today, God, for the total privilege of being able to say that we're yours. Jesus, thank you. You've, you that wasn't our, even that wasn't our doing. You brought us to yourself. You led us to yourself and we put our faith in you and you saved us. And we're so grateful to you, Lord. Thank you. Why don't you, each one of you in his presence, just while the musicians play quietly, just take a moment to make your own response to God. Pray, maybe there's something that's been, uh, maybe one of the verses, maybe a phrase, something that Jesus said has just jumped out the pages of scripture and just impacted you in a fresh way. Just take a moment, don't let it go, respond to it. Take a minute to ask him for his help in these things and take those revelations deeper in your life. Just pray your own prayers to God. Thank you, God. While people are praying their own responses to God, I want to give you an opportunity today if you're here and you've never put your faith fully in Jesus. You've heard me describe to you the importance of knowing him. I said that you, you love God, you get God. You don't love God, you don't get God. And today, I want you to get God because I want you to get life because I want you to have eternity because I want you to know that forgiveness that he purchased for you so God I pray for anyone here like that today who doesn't yet know you I pray in their hearts faith would come alive that a deep love for you God would ignite in their souls if that's you today and you're saying Peter I want to know God I want to love God I want to pray that prayer. I want to make that decision today. If that's you, then pray this. Pray with me just now. I'm going to pray one line at a time. You repeat it after me under your breath. Pray with me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you so much for your incredible love for me. Jesus, thank you. You were willing to come into this world and then die on the cross in my place. You died as a sinless one for me, the sinner, so that I could be forgiven and saved eternally. I thank you so much for this. And I turn my life over to you. I don't want to just live for myself anymore. I want you to take first place in my heart and life. I believe you're risen from the dead, Jesus Christ. And I believe you're alive right now. Come and live in my life by your spirit. And be Lord of my life. First place in my heart from this day forward. you're here and you prayed that prayer I would love to pray for you wherever you are whether it's in the cafe on the balcony in the main floor here wherever you are if you prayed that prayer and that's the decision you made before God just there I have to tell you God has heard your prayer and he's just done something in your soul I would like to pray blessing on you just I don't know who you are so in order to know who you are who's prayed that prayer can you just identify yourself to me by raising your hand if you're here today and that's the decision you've made just put your hand up nice and clean and say that's me today that's the decision I've made put your hand up then I'll pray for you 
and you can put your hand down again. Is there anyone like that today? Raise your hands nice and clear. Thank you. Is there someone on the balcony as well? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Is there anyone else? Lord, thank you so much for these precious people today who in your presence have actually made the greatest decision of their life. And you've just heard their prayer. And the Bible says that when we trust in you, we are saved. Not because we're so good, but because you're so good. When we trust in you, you save us. And I pray in this moment, your salvation, your acceptance, your total forgiveness would be their experience in this moment. Thank you, you have saved them, you forgive them. And let this be the beginning of a whole great journey with God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for hearing their prayer. In Jesus' name.